Let's take the Word of God this morning and turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, as we continue in our study of this book, I hope that our prayer is that, as a church, that uh, we would try to pattern ourselves after uh, those we find in the first century. And as we've already noted in the book of Acts, it was not easy. They dealt uh, at the onset with persecution. And what is interesting is every time that the Bible mentions the persecution, you see them expanding and going further and the gospel propagating. And uh, that's a wonderful thing and a wonderful testimony of, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, of the power of the gospel. That despite the persecution, uh, the gospel is, adv- is advancing and the lives are being changed. And so we're going to continue here in Acts chapter 11. We'll begin reading in verse 19, read down to verse 26. And what we find here is really the planting of what we would probably call the greatest missionary-minded church in the book of Acts. That's the church of Antioch that Saul would come out of. And so we find here kind of, uh, uh, we often go to chapter 13 of Acts and see how they sent Paul and Barnabas out, but... This is really what happened in the background before then. And so we begin here in verse 19. The Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenus and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great multitude believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him uh, unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I'd like to notice uh, the expression we find at the end of verse 26. The Bible says that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I want to preach this morning as we continue to study through the book of Acts and to look at the progression of the gospel and the multiplying of churches on Christians in Antioch. Christians in Antioch. As we have been studying here in the book of Acts, the propagation of the gospel, uh, it really began in Jerusalem. And as we look uh, throughout the book of Acts, we could even go back to Acts chapter 2. We see that the the gospel was preached in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And Peter had a wonderful message. And not only was there the wonderful message of the gospel, but there was a uh, the miracle of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came down. And as we hear this morning, and validated the church and the gospel message in the world, much like the miracles validated the fact that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And so the miraculous happenings in Acts chapter 2 were there, and really what the miracles did is they propped up 
the message of the gospel. And I've made the point as the book of Acts, as we look throughout this book, that if the miracles that happened in the book of Acts were there as signs to prop up the gospel, and if the miracles were that great, how much greater is the message? And that's what the gospel message is emphasized here throughout the book of Acts. And so we see Acts chapter 2, the gospel was preached and then uh, the persecution arose. We read in our passage, we are reminded of the persecution that arose from Stephen. And he preached before the Sanhedrin council and they were... As children, they uh, gnashed on him with their teeth. They drove him out of the city and they stoned him to death. And when that persecution happened in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, the Bible says that those believers in Jerusalem were scattered uh, because of the persecution. And we read in Acts chapter 8 that when the persecution happened, the gospel, those that were scattered, they went, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 verse 4, they went preaching everywhere. And in Judea, and in Samaria, and in Acts chapter 8, we find Philip preaching in Samaria, and then going to uh, preach in the desert to the Ethiopian eunuch, and so we find the gospel going outside of Jerusalem and Judea, and northward in Samaria, and when we reach Acts chapter 9, we see that the gospel is preached in Judea, and Galilee, and Samaria, and so the gospel goes all the way uh, to the west coast of Judea, to the city of Joppa, and then it goes all the way northward to Galilee. And so in Acts chapter 9, the gospel is continuing to spread. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9, then, then had the churches rest. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, is the first time in the book of Acts that we find the word church used in the plural form. Churches. And it's interesting that in connection to that, that the only time you see the churches were multiplied is when the persecution is mentioned. Now, the gospel here in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11, we see that the gospel was first preached in Acts chapter 10 verse 45 to the Gentiles. Uh, Peter went to the house of Cornelius and there was a group of Gentiles that were gathered there and he preached the gospel. And there was, if you would, much like what happened in Acts chapter 2, there was another Pentecost moment where the Spirit of God came down and there was the, the evidence and the outpouring of the Spirit of God, again, validating the gospel message and that the gospel was not just for the Jew, but was also for the Gentiles. And so the people in Judea and Jerusalem, they heard of what had happened and how the Gentiles had received the word of God. And now we return in Acts chapter 11 uh, as there was contention because people confronted Peter. They said, well, why did you go and uh, eat with the Gentiles? And Peter goes through the whole story and he says, well, let me tell you why. Because God told us to. And so I'm preaching the gospel of the Gentiles. And they, they rested and they were at peace from that. But now as we come to verse 19, we see the gospel being preached as far as Phoenix, Cyprus, and Antioch. And so as we think geographically, and I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, and so if you have Jerusalem here, you have the coasts over here, the Mediterranean Sea, and Jerusalem is down here, and so the gospel went northward into Samaria and Galilee, it went westward all the way to the coast of, uh, of uh, uh, Joppa, uh, Judea, and you have the Mediterranean. And so now the Bible says goes all the way north. Now it's beyond Judea, beyond Samaria, beyond Galilee. The Bible mentions three uh, locations. It mentions Phoenix, which was, if you looked at a map, uh, you had uh, right uh, Galilee, and then right above Galilee you had Syria. And kind of in between those, along the coast, you had Phoenicia. 
And so that would be Phoenix. And so it goes up north. And then Cyprus, off the coast of uh, Phoenicia, was Cyprus. It was an island in the Mediterranean. And so the gospel went in Cyprus. And the Bible also mentions Antioch. And so if you keep moving northward, uh, as the Mediterranean uh, slopes over into Syria, Antioch is right up there. And so now the gospel is uh, moving northward into Phoenix, Cyprus, and Antioch. And so we have again a progression of the gospel moving forward. And as we think about today, we are in the 21st century. Uh, The mission of the church is the gospel. And the mission of the church being the gospel means that the gospel has to progress beyond just where we are in our community, just like it did here in the early church. And so the, the mission of the church is not for us to sit and to enjoy ourselves and just a fellowship, but there is an agenda that we have as a church, and that is for the gospel to continue to move forward. That's what happened in the book of Acts. Now as we study here our passage, we read that uh, these were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, as you read throughout the New Testament, the common words used in the New Testament to refer to those who were in Christ, or followers of Christ, are disciples. Uh, beloved, brethren, believers, saints, servants. They're called, if you would, as a whole, the church or the churches. And so this is certainly how they would refer to themselves. That's how Paul referred to them. But Jesus Christ and his followers were often insulted and given names. Uh, Some of those names we find in, in the book of Acts, one of those expressions were, they are of the sect of the Nazarenes. And what they meant by that is Jesus was called Jesus of Nazareth. And so they referred to him as Jesus, uh, he was a Nazarene. And so when they thought about Paul and the churches that were propagating the gospel of what? Jesus Christ. They said, these people are Nazarene. And that was an insult. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You remember that? And so it was a a derogatory term. We also know that they would refer to as Galileans, but that that, that was also an insult. The reason why that was an insult is because, uh, you remember, Galilee was northward, and the people uh, who had uh, the religious monopoly were the people who were in Judea and Jerusalem, and so the people of Galilee were a despised people, and so they were referred to as their Galileans. You shouldn't listen to them. But another expression we find here in the book of Acts is that they were called Christians first in Antioch. Now I believe as we look throughout the New Testament, uh, the uh, name here, Christian, is only used three times in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, you don't find anywhere where they called themselves Christians. The Bible said they were called Christians. It's not necessarily how they referred to themselves at, but that's what, how they were called. The only time, the only two other times that they're called Christians is when Paul is talking to King, Agri- to King Agrippa and he says, almost that persuades me to be a Christian. And so the only other time that is used was used in 1 Peter chapter 4 where he talks about the believers who were going through persecution and suffering. And he says, you're suffering as a Christian. 
In other words, it was a blot on them when people looked at these people who were Bible believers who were preaching the message of Jesus Christ. People looked at them and said, they're, they're Christians, and it was an insult. It was a, uh, it was a vulgar way to refer to them. They never referred to them as that. It's interesting, as you often, often study throughout church history, uh, you read uh, uh, during the Dark Ages that there was a group that, called them, that, that were called Anabaptists. And we read about that, we say, well, uh, oh, there's this group of Baptist people, but understand, that was not the name they chose for themselves. It was the name that was assigned to them by the Roman Catholic Church. They are Anabaptists, they are rebaptizers. they have a different way to baptize, which was against what the Roman Catholic Church did with baptizing infants, and so it was a name that they were called by, not necessarily a name that they called themselves. And so we are interested here in How did this church come about for these people to be called here Christians? And by the way, if that means that we are associated with Jesus Christ, then I guess it's okay to be called Christians. It's okay to be insulted in that way if we are, in the sense, called little Christs or followers of Christ. I will take that insult and rejoice in that insult. But I want us to notice as we look through our passage three things because... What we find here is the church of Antioch being established. And I have one question. How was it established? How was it established? And we have a pattern in this passage that I believe as a church we can follow. When a missionary comes, as the heart occurs, often they'll have a a video presentation. They'll say, we're sent out of... Mount Zion Baptist Church, and they served there uh, for 12 years, and they were sent out of Mount Mount Zion Baptist Church, and after spending time on the field establishing church, they come back to their sending church. Well, there's a biblical precedence for that. It was not the invention of man. We find that in the Scriptures. And so I want us to consider the biblical pattern here of the church of Antioch being established where the believers were first called Christians here in Antioch. I want us to first note it, no, notice the pioneering work. Now, as we read in our passage in verse 19, the Bible says, Now, they were scattered, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Notice verse 20. And some of them, that means some of those who were scattered and who preached everywhere, some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, here it is, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Now often we think of Antioch, we think of Barnabas and Paul. Uh, We think about the believers in Jerusalem or the church of Jerusalem sending people up to the church of Antioch, but that's not how the church got started. The church got started by a pioneering work by men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Now, if you think about Cyprus and Cyrene, Cyprus is, remember, it's an island in the Mediterranean off the coast of Phoenicia. And so there were men in Cyprus who, that was where they lived, they went to Antioch, to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of Cyrene. Cyrene is you have to go way west on the Mediterranean Sea. You have to go south to northern Africa, and that's where Cyrene is. And so understand, these men that are preaching there, they're not from Antioch. And so what they are engaging in, though, is a pioneering work. They're in a town that they're not necessarily familiar with, but yet they're going there and they're doing one thing, and that is they are preaching the Lord Jesus. That is a pioneering work. 
It's interesting as we look at those three stages of the establishment of this church, in every stage you find people turning to the Lord and the church growing in every stage. So in the pioneering work, I want us to notice several things in this pioneering work. First of all, we find here the severity of their persecution. I think it's important for us to think about uh, these men uh, the, from who were from Cyprus and Cyrene who are pioneering into the city of Antioch. Understand what the circumstances was. Uh, they were under severe persecution. They did not have an easy life. It was not an easy road for them to go to Antioch because they were scattered because of the persecution. And by the way, he mentions here in verse 19 the persecution that arose upon Stephen. So we're not talking about somebody slamming the door in your face. We're talking about a man being dragged out of this from the Sanhedrin council, being dragged into a pit outside of the city and have big boulder rocks thrown on top of him until the man gave up his last breath. And then the church, the faithful men in the church of Jerusalem, they had to take those boulders off of Stephen, and then they had to carry his body for his burial. That's the type of persecution we're talking about. It is not just, well, I was insulted. No, no, this is severe persecution. And so understand that the pioneering work that took place in Antioch took place while there was severe persecution. That should be a challenge to us. You know, we we have it really easy, do we not? I think if we look at the, uh, the pattern of the book of Acts, and even you know, we're talking about what happened around the world because of COVID and how countries have shut down. They had military in the streets and checkpoints and things like that. And I'm just saying to us, we have it really good. But often, it is the ease of our lives that prevent us from being pioneers. You see, there is a sense in which the persecution caused them to be pioneers. And often we may frown upon the persecution. We may look at the persecution as some bad things, but look at what it resulted in. So we see the pioneering work, the severity of the persecution. We also notice in our text in verse 19 the specific of their specifics of their preaching. And so uh, in the persecution, what is their message? Uh, the Bible says in verse 19, they preaching at the end, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And so we know that the command was to go to the Jew first. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, uh, uh, the uh, preach to the Jew first and also to uh, the Greek. And so we understand here that everywhere they went, that was the pattern of Peter, of Paul. They would first go to the synagogue, preach to the Jews, and then turn to the Gentiles. Now, I think that there's still some prejudice there. We saw that in this chapter against the Gentiles. But the point is they're preaching, what does the Bible say? The Word. Now, the specific of that word in verse 20 is this, preaching at the end of verse 20, the Lord Jesus. That is the message of the church. In other words, when we gather together or people say, well, what is your agenda at First Day Baptist Church? We'll say, well, we preach Christ crucified and risen again and coming again too. And so that's our message. And so, you see, we, we don't come and say, hey, we have a new religion for you, and here's 12 rules, or here's 24 rules, or here's seven sacraments, or here's uh, the pillars of the faith. No, we say we preach Christ, and then when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything you do comes out of that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the specific of the message is preaching Christ. Well, what did Christ do? Well, He died for our sins. He died for us. He, the Bible says He became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. 
You see, Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross, He died as our substitute. He became sin for us, and we who are sinners can receive His righteousness, and that righteousness, according to Romans 4, is imputed by faith. The word imputation simply means it's placed on your account. There, there is nobody in this room this morning that is worthy of eternal life, that is worthy of having their sins forgiven. But in Christ, they are forgiven. You see, we are not worthy, but Christ is worthy, and He died in our place. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ today, that is the message of the church. Amen. That religion can't save you, church attendance can save you, good deeds can save you, but Jesus Christ can save you by His blood. So, we see the severity of the persecution, the specifics of their preaching, simple. But we also notice in verse 20, the sacrifice of their priority. Notice verse 20, the Bible says, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians. Now, I want us to see here, because the Bible says some of them were men of Cyprus. So I believe the Bible points to us where those men came from, because it shows us that they had to make a sacrifice to go to Antioch. There was other men there, but there were some men who were from Cyprus and Cyrene. And as I mentioned, that's not Syria, right? So Cyprus would be an island in the Mediterranean, and they don't have, they don't have the ease of travelers we have today. Uh, Cyrene is northern Africa, and so they would have either to come, typically they would go sail on the ship across the sea there uh, to get to, to Antioch. But the point I'm making here is that uh, these men who were pioneers had to make a sacrifice. They did. You know, the, the first century church is a story of God's people sacrificing. You know, Rome, uh, in the book of Romans, Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I don't imagine that these men who left Cyprus and Cyrene, who took that long uh, track to get to Antioch, I don't think they said, man, I just wish I didn't take this trip. No, I think there was an excitement in them. There was something that their sacrifice for them was, was not uh, that, uh, that big of a deal. In other words, they, they weren't looking for accolades. They were just trying to serve God. We not only see the severity of their persecution, the specifics of their preaching, the sacrifice of their priority, we also see the source of their provision. Verse 21 is the key that unlocks everything. It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. That's the key. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And so that's wonderful news. But the point is, the Bible says, the hand of the Lord was with them. Now, what does that mean, the hand of the Lord was with them? Well, there are, if you think about in terms of the Bible, there are four times that expression is found in the book of Ezra two times and the book of Nehemiah two times. And both Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, they uh, received decrees from the king to go back to Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple and those things. And this is what Nehemiah said in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 8. And the king granted me according to the good hand of, the, of God which was upon me. And so the idea of the, the hand of God being upon them is that God in His providence, He led them there. He allowed the gospel to be preached. In other words, God used the providence of their persecution to bring about the multiplication of churches. And so you see what these men saw. They saw the persecution as an opportunity to preach the gospel. In other words, they saw in the persecution the hand of God. 
That should teach us something as believers today, that often we, we may get disturbed by difficulties, but I think we need to look more at the hand of God than at the difficulty itself. I would imagine that those who were sitting there, of men of Cyrene and Cyprus, who were probably thought, well, we're persecuted, we might as well shut this thing down and go back home and just give it up. No, they did not look at the persecution as an opportunity to stop preaching. They looked at the persecution as an opportunity to, be, to obey God. You remember what he said in the command in Acts 1.8? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And so when they looked back at that command, they thought, well, you know what? Maybe God has just ordained the persecution so that we might do what he wants us to do. So that's the first stage of this work being established. We see the pioneering work, uh, even though there was severity of their persecution, the specifics of their preaching, the sacrifice of their priority, and the source of their provision. But also we see here, there was not only a pioneering work, but we also see the assembling work. And we could say that the pioneering work was done by men of Cyprus and Cyrene, but we see that the assembling work was done by Barnabas. Uh, notice with me verse 22. Then tidings of these things, what things? The pioneering work that took place in Antioch. Tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. Now, under persecution, but still alive. Right? The church in Jerusalem is still active. They heard what was going on in Antioch, and the Bible says, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. And so I want us to notice here the assembling work. And notice here in the second stage, not only do we see the pioneering work, then the assembling work, gathering the ones who have been pioneered, uh, gathering them together. We also notice in verse 24 at the end, and much people was added unto the Lord. Notice the adding part was not done. It took place in the second stages as well. I want you to notice several things about the assembling work. First of all, we see the commission of Barnabas. Verse 22, the Bible says that the church at Jerusalem, they sent forth Barnabas. In other words, they commissioned him. They gave him an assignment. And we might say, well, what is the assignment of Barnabas? Well, I think that it's pretty simple to do exactly what's going on in Jerusalem. In other words, the believers at Jerusalem were assembling themselves despite persecution. And so here people have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ in Antioch. And what do we need to do with them? We need to assemble them together. But the point is, there was the church at Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas. They commissioned him to do a work. You see, the work of God today in the 21st century is no different. It is always commissioned by the local church. In other words, when a missionary goes out to around the world, there is a church behind him. At least that's the biblical pattern. There's a church that said, we know this man. He has been faithful. He has served God. And we are behind. We are going with him to the Philippines. We are going along with him. We are commissioning him to do the work. Uh, Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the church here was behind. The church at Jerusalem was behind the work of Antioch. Not separate, together. One work, the work of God. But nonetheless, the commission of Barnabas. We also see 
the call of Barnabas. So what did Barnabas, when he got there, what did he do? Notice verse 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, so he's probably amazed that these people are saved. And he was glad, you can imagine, he's glad, he's thrilled what's going on. And notice, and exhorted them all, and uh, that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. So what was uh, Barnabas's call? The Bible says he exhorted them all. Uh, the idea here of exhortation means to call together. And so he exhorts them, he calls them together, and this is what he tells them, that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. In other words, he says, now that you're saved, you need to assemble yourselves together. We need to join together. We need to cleave unto the Lord. And by the way, when we come to church, we're not cleaving to each other. That's not why we come to church. We come to church cleaving to the Lord. In other words, the center of what goes on in the church is the Lord Himself. It's not us. We're, we're, we're all dispersed, and when we come together for church, to gather together, we're cleaving to the Lord. And Barnabas says, let's, let's, let, let's come near together and purpose in your heart to meet together. Now this would be a big deal, because when Jesus Christ came along the scene, He said, I will build my church. The word church was a common, in common use at that time. And so when people met in their synagogues, the Jews, they would say, I'm going to the assembly, to the church. That's what the name church means. But when Jesus Christ said, I will build my church, it was a distinct institution. And so what they were saying there to those Jews that had been saved, he says, I know you go to the synagogue, but you no longer go to the synagogue. Now you are to assemble with those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, now there's a, a call for those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to come together and to purpose in your heart to make that decision, which, by the way, was a very serious decision. It was a big deal. The idea of them being baptized and joining together in the assembly, forsaking their assembly in the synagogues, was a big deal for them. The family dynamic of those days, often families worked in businesses together. So if you were a son of your father and you worked in your father's business, and then you went and you said, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, well, you're not working here anymore. And as a matter of fact, if you leave and you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, we're going to hold a funeral for you. And they would see that family member later walking on the street. They would turn around the other direction and they would avoid him altogether. It was a big deal. That's why he said with purpose of heart you need to cleave to the Lord. Why? Because the temptation is now that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ you might kind of try to blend in but you have to come as a separate group of people. Assemble yourselves together. So we see the commission of Barnabas, the call of Barnabas, but also see we see the conduct of Barnabas. It's interesting that the Bible mentions this in verse 24. He was a good man. And full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Here is the conduct. There's three things that are said about Barnabas. He's a good man, he is full of the Holy Ghost, and he was full of faith. And so we see here, when the Bible says he was a good man, you know what that tells us? It tells us that his ministry was irreproachable. In other words, it's, he was a man of character. That's what the Bible tells us. A good man, a man of character, a moral man. We also see that he was full of the Holy Ghost. His ministry was powerful. And I'm not saying that because he was powerful. I'm just saying that he was a man under divine control. And we also see he was full of faith. This tells us that his ministry was unwavering. That he was a man of conviction. 
full of faith. And so here we see here, we, we see, yes, uh, uh, the, the pioneering work, but also the assembling work. And we look at the ingredients of that assembling work. There was the commission of the local church, sent out Barnabas. Uh, call The call of Barnabas was specific, was to, for the people to cleave unto the Lord, to assemble, to form a congregation. And then there is the conduct of the man of God who was called to do that work. And by the way, that, that call is upon all of our lives. You know, we may read of First Timothy chapter 3 of the requirements for the bishop and for the deacon, but understand that is something that we all should strive for. We should be people of character, people under divine control, and people of conviction. But we come to the last part, the last aspect of this church being started. So we see not only the pioneering work, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, we see the assembling work, we could say Barnabas, but then thirdly, we see the abiding work. Now, by the way, this church is going to be a powerful church. Church in Antioch. In other words, it's going to be an abiding work. An abiding work. And we could uh, include both in that Barnabas and Saul, or we could say Paul. Notice in verse 25, the Bible says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And we ask ourselves here, what makes a work an abiding work? You know, the majority of churches in America, and, not, and this is a statistics that it's, it's across different denominations, so it's not just independent Baptist churches, but the majority of churches that start close. As a matter of fact, I know of Baptist churches that have started within the last 10 years have already closed. Uh, we also know churches that have been established for many years that have closed. Now, I think some churches should close. They're not preaching the truth. And maybe they should give us their building around here. Amen? <laughs> that was, all right, let's keep going. <laughs> but I want you to notice several things here. If the church is going to be an abiding work, because that's what we want. That's what Antioch became. What are, the, what are the aspects of that? Well, first of all, we see the church had a confirmed leadership. Do you notice verse 25? Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. Well, by the way, so we've already seen, Saul has already proved himself. We know in Damascus he preached Christ. When you say to join himself, at first he was kind of rejected by the, by the apostles in Jerusalem, but then they accepted him by the hand of Barnabas. And they brought him in, and he was faithful. He was taught of the Lord already by this time in Arabia. And so he had been taught by the Lord. And so this, he was already a man of good testimony, and he was already confirmed. And the Bible says when he found him, Saul, he brought him to Antioch. And so we understand that a church, for it to be a church that abides, has a confirmed leadership. Barnabas didn't come out of nowhere, and Paul didn't come out of nowhere. Barnabas in Jerusalem, Saul in Tarsus. You know, God wants to raise leadership in churches that will give vision to the church. And by the way, uh, this is interesting because uh, Paul would be there for a certain amount of time, but then he would be sent out of that church. That's remarkable. To see that this man was willing to do whatever was needed and he came to that, uh, to that place where he was in Antioch and leadership teaching the people there and then that same church, they sent him out on three missionary journeys. Did a wonderful work for the Lord. But we see the church had a confirmed leadership. And then secondly, we see that the church 
had a consistent assembling. The Bible tells us, verse 26, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. Well, the word church is an assembly. But notice, Barnabas and Saul, they assembled themselves together with the church. And so we find here that the church had a consistent assembling. Uh, you know, we, 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 we meet together on a regular basis. Why do we do that? Because it's important. We need to assemble ourselves together. You see, the world is not going to give us what we need. But the assembling of God's people will. When we meet together when we all cleave unto the Lord together, it is a place of fellowship. It is a place of encouragement. It is a place where we are challenged by the Word of God. It is a place where we are taught. It is a place where we can serve God. All of those things happen within the local church. And so we see here that they had a consistent uh, assembling. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, uh, some of the believers were beginning to go astray. And he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, the assembling of God's church was not treated like some just thing that was unimportant. It was important to the first century church. And those who were not faithful were reproved. You see, the church had a consistent assembling. We also see, by the way, that's what made it an abiding church. See, if you have people who are not faithful, who come in and out whenever they want, uh, you're not, you're not going to have an abiding work. So we see... It had a confirmed leadership, a consistent assembly. We also see the church had a constant teaching ministry. The Bible says in verse 26, It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves right with the church, but the Bible says, and taught much people. You know, when we look at the ministry of the church and we say, Okay, what is the church? What do you do at your church? Do you have a coffee shop? Or do you have this? Or do you have this? And there's certainly many things that you find today churches can do or even a yoga class or whatever it is. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on. But what do we find in the book of Acts? What is it that the church did? They preached and they teached, uh, teached, <laughs> taught the Word of God. That's what they, that was the priority of the church. As a matter of fact, uh, I want you, if you would just read through the book of Acts, show me any other activity that took place in the church. Outside of preaching and teaching and reaching and those things and then multiplying and doing more of the same. He was say, so pastor, uh, when, we, when we get a building, what are we going to do? How are we going to change? You know, the reason why we're praying for a building is just that we can do more of the same. And so we can do it better. That's it. Not to change anything. We want to do more of what we're already doing. We don't, we don't need to come up with a new scheme for the church. God has already said what we need to do. I don't think that any of us are better than the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church had a constant teaching ministry, but we also see lastly, and by the way, that's what will make a church abide. The preaching and the teaching of the Word of God and a people who want to hear, uh, a people who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And then lastly, we see the church had a clear identity. And here it is, verse 26. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So, you remember what I said? These people who were called to cleave unto the Lord, to join, to assemble together, to forsake their synagogues and their other assemblies, and to come together under the umbrella of the local church. Then what people would say, say oh, there, there they go again. They assemble, they're assembling again, those 
Christians. Those little Christs over there running around like they know everything. Bible thumpers and these people who always talk about the book, who always teach and preach. They always talk about Jesus. So we're going to call them Christians. You see, the church has clear, had a clear identity. In other words, what I, that tells us they were called first Christians in Antioch. It tells us that they had an impact in their community. People looked at them and they said, oh, they're that, you know, have you ever experienced that? Maybe you're in your job and people know you're a Christian and then you come around and they're like, oh. Right? They, everybody starts dispersing. Or you may walk in the break room and then it, it's quiet. I remember I was at a, a dealer's warehouse work for years and, uh, you know, after being there for some time, people find out I was uh, trained to preach and witness to a few of my co-workers and, and, and eventually, you know, when the break time room, there was a break room and tables and, and all a snack shop and all those things and, and sometimes, you know, they're talking and, you know, you could hear cursing and all those things right before you're about to come in the break room and then you come in the break room and then it's just go. You know what, what, what's going on through your mind? There comes the Christian. In other words, if they went under the radar, nobody would have called them anything. They're just blending into society and just uh, fitting in with everybody. That was not the Church of Antioch. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying be a weirdo. But I, what I am saying is identify with Jesus Christ publicly. Declare that you believe in Jesus Christ. That you're a Christian. And that you're not ashamed to be called a Christian. And so we find here, the Christians in Antioch, we see the pioneering work, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, the assembling work by Barnabas, and then we see the abiding work done by both Barnabas and Saul. And so let's pray, because I, I think that all those things have to be constantly reminded of. In other words, we need to be pioneers. We need to assemble, and we need to abide. That's what we see in, the, in this church in Antioch. And by the way, when we get to, it's going to be exciting when we get to Acts chapter 13 and 14. When they sent out Paul and Barnabas on those missionary journeys to see all that happened. But you know, lay behind, underneath the foundation of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas was the church of Antioch. And often we read of the exploits of Acts 13 and 14, and we forget about the foundation that was built underneath these exploits. You can't have the exploits and the journeys without those things taking place in Antioch first. And so may the Lord help us that those things would be true at First Day Baptist.